When life is pulling you in a million different directions, how do you find time for the people who matter to you? Who are those people? What makes you feel like you're not alone? We're going to talk about this stuff for a bit. Hang out with us. I'm Nadia Halim. Welcome to The Opposite of Lonely. I'm not a musician. I can't sing, and aside from briefly taking recorder lessons when I was a small child, I've never played an instrument. But I love music. It got me through my high school years. It's still important to me. I love seeing bands play live. So I've been thinking for a while about doing an episode of this podcast about music. I'm interested in music as a force that can connect people and help them to feel less alone. But I'm also interested in the music scene as a community. I had a conversation with one of my guests on this episode, Kristen, a while ago, where she talked to me about her experiences as a young musician working in the industry today, and I realized that there's something going on in the music scene that is part of the bigger picture that this podcast is about. The overall theme on The Opposite of Lonely is that our world is changing, especially technologically, but also economically and socially, in ways that are disrupting the structures that used to keep people socially connected. So I thought it would be interesting to have a conversation about how that disruption is affecting the local music scene. How are new technologies changing the ways that musicians work together? Are the changing economics of the industry affecting the way musicians interact with each other and with their audiences? And what's that like to live with? And how are people coping? What new strategies are they coming up with to keep their communities together and to avoid becoming isolated? My guests today are two musicians who both have a lot of experience in the Toronto scene and have done some thinking about this. Simon Borer has been hanging around the Toronto music scene for the better part of two decades, starting as a doorman at the Silver Dollar, watching Dan Burke's every move, then as the frontman for entire cities, touring the country and opening for artists like Sloan, Rock Plaza Central, and Wolf Parade. Currently, he records under the name Traplines and is in production on his first feature film. Kristen Fung's dynamic and versatile performances as a vocalist, keyboardist, and composer traverse multiple musical landscapes. She leads her own R&B band in original tunes infused with her signature super funky soul grooves. She's a member of Anthony Braxton's tricentric vocal ensemble and a feature soloist in the live and recorded versions of his experimental opera Trillium J. She's also part of Christine Duncan's The Element Choir, creator of Celeste, a contemporary vocal dance trio, and she's half of the hip folky duo K-Funk and Lady Ree. She has performed at many venues in Toronto and beyond. So let me start by asking both of you, did you get into a musical career in part through your friends, through your social scenes, because people you knew were doing it? Was it something that you did because you hoped to find your people? I can speak for myself in that I think I found music when I was pretty young, like five, six, seven, eight, or something like that. And I remember loving Disney movies like The Little Mermaid and wanting to sing just like Ariel and all the other characters <laughs> that that I saw on TV and in films. And I guess it never really occurred to me at such a young age that I could be a musician because in my mind, I already was. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, I definitely think that music is a profound way to connect with people it's it's a it's a survival tactic in this world for me as much as it's a whole bunch of other things <laughs> in what way in what way does it help you survive i think because music is like this pure at its at its best at in its highest form whatever that means to each person who's making music um at its best it's it's this free expression of of my heart and soul and it's it's like an offering back to the world that's that's offering me something. Nice. Okay, Simon, how about you? Well, I just want to echo Kristen's sentiments about never feeling like I really discovered music. Music was just all around me growing up. My uh, mother is a music teacher. My grandmother was a music teacher. And I grew up in a part of the world where there were... This is in the upper Ottawa Valley, um, where there was... Uh, you know, every every few miles, there was a, a little church, a little general store, and a dance hall. <laughs> there were dance halls all over the country. And so it was just this this thing that was not just in the culture, it was it was in the ground, it was in the soil. Uh it was it was everywhere. And so I identify more with uh music than I do with, with my country. Like I think of myself more as a musician than I than I do a Canadian. Uh it's it's just something that's that's always been around me. And so the, the idea of 
you know, finding people through music. I, I, I don't really understand how people find each other otherwise, hmm. you know, maybe it's sports or something like that, but that's, that's always been my go-to for, for finding people to, to be with is, is going out and playing music, going out and seeing music that that's just my social language, you know. This is so interesting, Simon, because it sounds like you grew up in a place where music was all around you. And in the same way, I feel like I grew up in a place where music was all around me, but it was actually a very isolated experience. Um, because I was the one watching the Disney movies and and asking my sister if we could watch Aladdin like 10 times a day because I loved the song so much. And I mean, it was my parents who put me in piano lessons, but piano lessons are very, you know, soloistic and you you do them in isolation with with a teacher who's sometimes not so nice to you. And <laughs> um, and I kind of felt like it wasn't until I was maybe 13 or 14 and I went to visit my family in Hong Kong um, and my cousin was playing this like, I don't know, Bob James, like jazz trio CD in his car. And I was so relieved and fascinated at the same time that there was someone in my family who understood the kind of music that I wanted to learn more about, wanted to connect with, wanted to play, wanted to know about, like just wanted to experience. But there was no one around me when I was growing up who could tell me what jazz was or could like share in these experiences with me. Your family just was not into it at all. Yeah. I mean, my dad likes karaoke. We had a karaoke Laserdisc machine, if anyone can remember those wonderful things. And, um, you know, I think my mom probably, like, like she, she would sing to herself sometimes, like, in the kitchen and um, probably sang in choirs when she was younger. Um, but there was never any encouragement to be a full-time professional musician. Isn't it just so miraculous when you get that that moment where uh, whether it's like an older sibling giving you their records or or a friend at school passing you a, a bootleg cassette tape. I, and that's roughly how old I am. A boot, <laughs> bootleg cassette tape uh, and, and saying like like you got, like telling you a secret, you know, sharing a, a, something secret about the world with you. Like, here's something I need you to hear. Here's something I think you're ready for. Yes. Uh, I've had so many moments like that throughout my life, and I'm so grateful for each and every one of them because it it really is special. But for me, that always felt like the question was never, do we relate to each other through music or not? It's, uh, how do I feel about this music in this moment? Hmm. Yeah. Kristen, did you, like, once you had that moment of realizing that other people might be into this as well, did you, like, try and find a jazz club in your high school or just, like, start going to start seeking this stuff out? Like, what was your next move? I, I don't know what I did. I think I went on Napster and <laughs> tried to find a bunch of stuff. Oh, no, I remember. I walked to Future Shop one day and, like, tried to look in the jazz section. And I, and I remember buying, like, Blue Note Festival in 1993 or I, don't, I can't remember what year it was. I remember like putting it on me like, okay, okay, I found jazz. Like I spent my own money, my own allowance, <laughs> and I found jazz. And I like pressed play and um, it didn't sound like jazz to me at all. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what the first track is, but all of my CDs are back home in Vancouver. Um, but, it, you know, it was all kinds of music, world music from all different parts of the world. And, and there, there wasn't necessarily um, singers singing in like the English language and, and all kinds of stuff. And I remember thinking, whoa, this I, I know nothing. Like, how can I find what, I, what it is that I want to find? So it's yeah, it's been this unfolding mystery. And those moments um, that Simon's talking about when you're exchanging the mixtapes, like I remember making a mixtape for my first boyfriend and I put so much care into choosing each song, into writing the titles of each song <laughs> in like d different colored pens. It's always been this this way of connecting with every everyone everything the mixtape for the person you're dating that is the classic <laughs> <laughs> way of connecting to someone through music <laughs> so this might make a the the whole uh technology thing though makes maybe a good segue into talking about like how tech has changed the you know the actual process of being a musician in the scene and simon i wanted to ask you because you mentioned that you'd been talking to some people and thinking about this in advance of the episode well sure i 
when you brought up this topic, I went and I talked to two of my friends who have been in the Toronto or GTA music scene for a little longer than I uh, than I have. This is uh, Keith Hamilton, who ran the Pitter Patter Music Festival for many years, and uh, and Ryan McLaren, who uh, ran the All Caps Festival and uh, pivotal figure in uh, wavelength uh, during during some of the uh, some of the golden years. And I talked to them. I was specifically interested in the role the internet played pre-Facebook or even pre-MySpace uh, in the music scene. And, and I got this wonderful history from them about the, the various message boards. The one that was still in existence when I was uh, starting to play music in Toronto was called Steel Post. But it, it had several iterations prior to that. Um, uh, Secret Arcade, uh, OntarioMusic.com, um, the Anti Antenna, which is a record label, but their message board on their website, uh, and a lot of these were run by Ryan Mills, um, and they they went through they went through different sort of tones over the years, um, but it was a lot of what is supposed to happen on on facebook or instagram now it's a lot of people rallying and also being jerks uh you know i think uh one thing that kind of surprised me talking to both those guys was that it wasn't like facebook when it came along it wasn't like it was this juggernaut that just rolled over all of the message boards that that uh already existed it wasn't like Starbucks, you know, setting up shop across from the the, the little local cafe. Uh, people people were ready to make the jump because it had become pretty pretty cliquey and a little a little assholey. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was also at a time where people were sort of figuring out uh, what the internet was. They they told me this one story, and I won't I won't name any names, but uh, where. Uh, two two people who are now household names, the, who are now famous people, uh, where where one of them was just can I swear on this podcast? Sure. Okay. <laughs> where one of them was just talking shit about the other person, and these are both people you think of as nice. Oh, I'm people. so curious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I we, will. I will tell you when we're off the air. Sweet. Uh, <laughs> One of them was just talking shit about the other one, and then they showed up because it's the internet, and anybody can just show up. and And they were deeply, deeply uh, regretful and apologized profusely. But it was, like I said, a time when people hadn't really wrapped their heads around the, the way things persist, you know. Um, so it was interesting to get because because I sort of showed up in, in the middle of this, um, very special time in the Toronto music scene. It's, and I was kind of, I felt like I was a junior in high school or something like that. Uh, it's easy to look back on those times with very rose colored glasses. And it's easy to think, uh, that maybe going, going backwards in terms of technology is a good idea is a feasible option. Um, but, uh, both those guys, when I talked to them, they both had really fun stories, but, but they were both like, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a golden age. People yeah, were yeah, still yeah. jerks to each other. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. And I remember that there was the, there was this like pre, before there was Facebook, there was this sort of proto Facebook of, you know, proto social media of these message boards and, and people would get really into them and be like, I was on some message boards too. Yeah. Tell, tell us about that. Oh, I I don't know if we need to. Uh, they they don't really pertain to music. They do pertain to like connecting to people, but right, right, um, yeah. It was yeah. It's it's cool to to message people that you you have no idea who they are and yeah, and but you might be interested in some of the same stuff or just want to like talk to another person and and feel connected in this new way. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember. I'm I'm old enough to remember when that was still like whoa, I'm on the internet and I'm talking to someone in another country <laughs> who is a total yeah. stranger, but also really likes the Beatles or whatever. <laughs> mm. 
Uh, yeah, there was a, there was this there was this novel thing, and then people discovered flame wars <laughs> and trolling, and that was initially really shocking. It was just like, why are people behaving this way? And it's still hard to understand why, but <laughs> we've gotten a little bit more used to that. I do I do want to say I I feel like it is it is a positive progression though, because my memory of high school, and I grew up in kind of a tough town, but my memory of being a young music fan in high school was assuming, working under the assumption that everyone was going to be mean and potentially dangerous. And it was only when we saw certain signifiers that you felt like you could approach a stranger. Like uh, now in the, in the punk scene in the mid nineties, I, I felt like a, an operation Ivy patch like that, that automatically made, me give you the benefit of the doubt in terms of you being a nice person. So what was I don't I'm not like enough of a punk to know was that a band? That or? was a that was a band. That okay. was a uh, <laughs> uh a short-lived uh band. They were already they were already done at that point, but they were they had very positive messages. They were very fun, they were very cool. And and it was just I feel like a band that uh jerks didn't uh truck with. Uh <laughs> And and so so there had to be these signifiers of uh, you can talk to me, right? Like you being a stranger, you can talk to me. Where whereas on the on the internet, you know, we're we're all sort of shocked and appalled that twenty percent of the population are terrible people or whatever percentage you want to go with five percent. Um, but I do I do have this recollection that. When I was when I was a kid, you had to operate under the assumption that ninety five percent of people were uh, not someone you could approach. At least potentially not safe people. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm glad you bring that up because I don't want to. Yeah, when it, when it, when I, we talk about you know the changes that technology has wrought, I don't. I, I I'm not. I'm definitely not a. You know, things were much better in the good old days when you know <laughs> no one was looking at their phones and uh, you know. It's, uh, my my general the general gist of this podcast is that you know there's there are a lot of changes happening and um, a lot of those changes make it more challenging to connect with other people. But change is not necessarily bad, and change can you know improve things in society in a lot of ways and can also create opportunities. And I think it's, I think technology is, is very much a part of that. Like it's, it's creating new pressures or new problems, but it's also creating new ways of, of new tools that people can use to connect to each other. Um, this kind of leads me into uh, something I wanted to ask you, Kristen, that you told me that uh, as, as a young musician working in the scene right now, you feel like there's a lot of pressure, especially as a woman, that you need to have an online presence that makes your life look perfect. Like, Ugh. it's not enough to be a singer-songwriter or multi-instrumentalist. You also have to be an Instagram personality. I think there is that pressure if you if you're pursuing a particular kind of career in music which is to be popular and well known and well liked by everyone okay i personally kind of love instagram because i I love photos and and (laughs) and kind of using my multiple accounts um to tell different stories from from my life or moments share moments from my life but at the same time like i don't know in the past few months or so i've really started to like despise it a little bit (laughs) it's like oh like everyone is like it's just too much information and it can really um really mess with your with your mind and your self-esteem if you're not in a good place and um i feel like as a creative person i have such a volatile temperament and um (laughs) and a con like self confidence level already that it's it's a weird thing to now be a part of this society where if you want yourself like your image or what it is that you do to be known you can make a lot of people quote unquote know you um faster by being out there like on all the on the all the platforms it's kind of a love-hate relationship i guess yeah i have a i have a conflicted relationship with with Facebook and and Instagram, mostly because I think 
for a while, I was really like addicted to Facebook Mm. and it was a great way to keep in touch with friends and family, especially like when I first moved to Toronto, I I loved, you know, just sharing stories and moments of excitement from my day and how excited I was to, to live in Toronto and to be carving out my music career here or just be carving out like a new life here. And yeah, I guess I think I, I got addicted to sharing and you know seeing what everyone else is doing like who's having babies and (laughs) and who's releasing their new single and you start to feel like you have to keep up with it like and then or or you start to feel like you're just wasting a lot of time scrolling pointlessly yeah because (laughs) when i think on instagram like you're not allowed to have a a bad day right and do you think that's a thing? Do you think that that's the people feel pressured to present kind of like Photoshop their lives, as it were, and, you know, just kind of edit out all the difficult bits. And as a result, you get this impression that everyone's life is perfect and they have no problems. And you feel like the fact that you have problems <laughs> makes you some kind of freak. Uh, it might be overstating the case, but is there is there a little bit of that going on? Yeah, something that kind of fascinates me is the, um, oh, gosh. I just want to like pull up my phone right now and see if I've done this like unconsciously without even knowing. <laughs> but um, it's when like you have a, a learning moment in your life, you you had a rough patch and then you've kind of like come up through it and you like post this fabulous picture of yourself looking fabulous and happy. And you say like, oh, this is all this like tough shit that I went through. Um, and I just wanted to like be vulnerable and share that with you. But look at me now. Like, look at this. <laughs> look at this headshot photo by so and so. Um I kind of feel like, whoa, I'm really interested in being with people in the moments when they're going through a rough time instead of hearing about it later. And it doesn't have to be on Instagram. I mean, like, I'm, I just mean, like, I'm interested in being with people in, like, face-to-face in real life if they need support and they're having a tough time. Simon, are you on social media? Are you on Instagram? Oh, I'm around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this does bring something up that I wanted to talk to Kristen about, which is the fact that... M- a perpetual conversation that I have with people who were part of the music scene 10 years ago or 15 years ago is has the world changed or have we changed? And one of the things that you just uh, talked about uh, the, the, the pressures of, of Instagram and having this uh, you know, public image and, and, and whatnot. And th- that just brought to mind how, uh, how important it was, or, or anyway, what a big part of my life it was uh, 10 or 15 years ago to go to the right parties, go to the right concerts and be, be available to people and to see people just say hi, check in. And, and those people, because they're in the music scene, they would be their, your connections. They would be the people who would call you up and ask you to play a show, call you up and ask you to uh, to go on tour with their band, so on and so forth. Now I had really positive experiences with that, but it may have been because I didn't put as much work into it as some people I know. Some people I know went at it like it was their, their job. And, and in some ways it was, and I see that physical presence, uh, that, that was required back then, uh, some of that being taken online, the way people talk about Instagram now and, and having to, to curate and cultivate this, this digital persona. Well, you know, people had to do that, uh, live. People had to do that IRL, yeah. uh, back <laughs> in the day. And, and so I'm curious how much of that, like in person networking is, is still going on. Like how, how often do you, do you, realize that you're you're doing that how often do you realize that oh i don't really feel like going out tonight but everybody's going to be there so i should probably go uh how how much of a part of your life is that i think nothing beats like in-person networking or connecting with people going to shows and stuff um but i think it's true what you're saying that a lot of that networking stuff has now transposed to the online world as well so I don't know if I'm doing less in-person connection stuff necessarily, but I know that I'm doing more online stuff 
in order to catch up with everyone else because it, it's become another another world that people network in. And yeah, ah, oh. <laughs> it just ah, it just makes me like so. I don't know. I feel a bit frustrated right now, but what's frustrating about it? I think what's frustrating about it is just having to be a part of another area of the world that is another rat race popularity, make yourself known and connected network, network, network kind of mm-hmm. club. It's another job. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I can't even take care of my like in-person life. <laughs> now I got to do all this <laughs> online shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So it's just there's so many demands. And so that's what's frustrating. But what it, what I was going to say is cool is that there is this whole other world that is quite accessible at your fingertips if you want to make it so. Hmm. And sometimes it can be really helpful. And it's a genuine gesture sometimes if you meet someone at a show and then you just connect on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. Whereas, you know, back in the day, you had to like <laughs> go like knock on their door, like you know, try go to, to run into show. them again. Yeah. <laughs> So it's definitely making us more accessible to each other in some ways, but it's also making us more demanding and being demanded of. There was something that you told me, and tell me if I have this right, but uh, you were were talking about how technologies have changed the way that people uh, interact in the music scene. And one thing that you said is that people used to, when there was an audition call, people used to like go to uh, go to the audition space, and you would you know hear other people perform, and you'd kind of like talk to each other while you were waiting for your turn, etc. And now it's much more common that everyone just records their thing at home and and sends it in online, and that's it. And so there isn't as much hanging out involved in that process um is that is that did i get that all right or yeah sort of i (laughs) think there are there are definitely still in-person auditions and callbacks and stuff um i don't go to any of them i I can't remember the last time i auditioned for something maybe it was two or three years ago but um i guess it's the whole like frustrating but also awesome thing because on the one hand it's great that you can make a like shoddy youtube video of yourself and (laughs) upload it and a producer might actually look at it Hmm. that's awesome um and you you could live in vancouver or beijing but be auditioning for something in in new york um so that's the awesome part but then the frustrating thing is um yeah just that lack of connection like I, i can remember um community theater auditions that i went to in vancouver which were the best experiences it was like all the people came together and the guy who ran the audition basically ran it like a master class and we learned so much from each other Hmm. and there was that bond of like you know talking to people while you're waiting and getting to know the other people in the room Mm -hmm. but there was also the like you know some people are just catty and protective and insecure so there's also people (laughs) who are like oh don't talk to me like no i'm gonna get that role or whatever (laughs) right right really competitive this is always a thing. I mean, it's there's always this back and forth because it is really important to have, I think, a sense of community and a sense of connectedness, and that's kind of what this podcast is all about. That's you know, it's it's we we do need as human beings to have in, to have relationships with other people, but they're also hard. <laughs> like, <laughs> people can be pains in the ass. <laughs> relationships can be hard to navigate. Uh, it's not like you know if you're if you have like a, a crowd, then everything is is going to be cool. There's going to be politics and gossip and and all that stuff. So. Well, I have another question for Kristen about uh, again, has the world changed or have I changed? One thing that was really appreciated uh, ten or fifteen years ago was the way that Toronto. It felt like very especially Toronto had a really well integrated music scene like like it was sort of genre agnostic uh yeah. you would have hip-hop and weird heavy metal and experimental this that and folks banjo whatever um you would have uh, all these people coming together all these weird diverse bills and uh i think that um one of the things people are concerned about with living online is is the bubble right hmm. um getting yeah. living inside these bubbles which, which is sort of contrary to what has defined toronto's music scene on on different occasions and so i wonder how uh kristen how how you get outside that bubble if you see social media uh creating creating connections uh, across 
genres across music scenes, uh, or or if it's a struggle to try and make those connections outside of of that stream. Hmm. I think when the bubble gets exhausting, then I I personally just try to take time away from it and gain some perspective offline. Kristen, you work in a lot of different genres too, though. So I imagine yeah, that so maybe I don't, helps. I don't even know. Like, I, I feel like I spend a lot of my time, if I if I have the time to question this, is, is like, which bubble do I belong to? <laughs> am, am, I, am I bubbly enough? Am I bubbly enough for that bubble? Um, so, yeah, I, I think um, the whole online world, I, I'm speaking mostly about Instagram right now. It, like, it's cool that you can just click on a hashtag and and find a whole bunch of other people in this one like awesome bubble. Uh, I don't know. I think there's something cool about that. Just as long as you're not like, I mean, everyone can do what they want with their lives, but I don't want to become <laughs> a part of the rat race to like be the best bubbly bubbler out there. <laughs> I want to create like my own musical language and like my own, whatever it is that I do. And it's kind of hard to do that uh, when when there are a lot of categories that are already being in, put in place and being fed. Well, I like your strategy of trying to break the algorithm by Googling random things or searching <laughs> yeah. for random things. On, you know, just click on all the hashtags. Yeah, because I think that's, I mean, as much as, again, the love-hate relationship, as much as Simon and I, and I were saying we love the algorithm because it's really good at finding more songs that we will like, it also does kind of pigeonhole you and, you know, only play. Yes, and I am on a lifelong quest to not be pigeonholed. Yes. <laughs> I feel like I, I might have like an extra strong conviction about that, just being like who I am. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I feel really strongly about not being pigeonholed. And I don't want people to think that I'm just one thing and or just because I'm a musician that I want to be on Canadian Idol or uh, that just because I play piano, it doesn't mean that I'm I'm like a classical pianist and anymore. Um, I, I just I want options in my life and I, I don't want limits. <laughs> <laughs> so just kind of meandering away from the tech thing for a minute, I wanted to ask you guys, um, you know, if you're if you're a musician, unless you're unless you're up there on the stage alone with a uh, guitar or a banjo, <laughs> which can happen most of the time you're performing with people. Uh, and I'm interested in those relationships, like your relationships with your bandmates. Have you both either have you been um, on like have you had the experience of being in a tour bus with your band for a month on end and getting to know those people really well? And, and what was that like? Simon? Well, you flatter me with tour bus. Okay. Uh, <laughs> a tour what was it? What was it if it was not a bus? <laughs> it was a van. Van. Okay. It was a tour van. Good, good. Uh we yeah, our first tour we we put seven people in a minivan and went to <laughs> Halifax and back. Um being on tour is is, is kind of magic to me. It it I mean, you want to talk about bubbles that that is a very special bubble uh, for for me where normally in my day to day life, I I am pretty introverted. I need time. I need space. I can't uh, I can't do people too many hours in a day. And and I like coming home and being at home. Being on tour is just this incredible exception in my life. It, it has this. Uh, crazy power where when we get when we get back from tour i might be the only one but i just want to get back in that van i (laughs) am not particularly interested in being home uh tour always feels like an adventure and and even if the people you're on an adventure with are uh tired or cranky or bored you're still on an, an adventure with them uh, it's this very special thing where I can just be around people 20, 24-7 for weeks on end and not feel that need for personal space, not feel burnt out or tired or like I need to spend time alone. Um, and and those relationships are, well, they feel very special, but, it, but it's kind of hard for me to say because I, I essentially have two kinds of friends in my life. There, there are friends I met through my wife and there are friends I met through music Hmm. and, 
And that's about it. So I don't know what other relationships are, are really supposed to be like, because like, if you look at my wedding photos, everybody there, I know, I know through music, right? Uh, all, all my, all my friends who I call up when I have a bad day or, or, uh, just want to, just want to go grab coffee or something like that. Those are, those are all music people or, or at very least people I know through people I know through music, right? That's, that's my entire social circle. Those relationships, they, they do feel very, very intense and very meaningful and very, uh, deep, but it might just be that we're, you know, all creative types. And that's just how we want to relate to people. Being on tour is kind of being in a, in a, in a gang or some sort of Lord of the Rings, you know, fellowship <laughs> type situation where, uh, yeah, you, you are traveling, but it's the most base form of, of tourism where you are looking for the absolute cheapest place to eat and you are, uh, hoping that you will meet someone who will let you sleep on their floor for the night <laughs> and you are praying that the van doesn't break down and it 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 all just like i said it, it feels like an adventure and it feels like you are doing something crazy with people like you are relying entirely on them you are putting your life in their hands and hoping that that they will laugh about it in the same way that you do I think that's what that's what fascinates me about it. I call myself an ambivert. Like I like I like being with people and I also like going home and, and closing the door afterwards. And so the idea of being with a group of people just 24/7 is kind of terrifying, but also kind of interesting. Like do you get to a point where you no longer feel like you have to be on, you have to be your public self. Like do you reach that level of comfort? And that's 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 kind of intriguing intriguing to me. Like what do you I don't know if you remember this. What do you when you're in a van with with people for that long, what do you talk about? Do you just stop talking? Do you get into like really strange conversations do you remember <laughs> one of one of the things we started doing was whenever we would leave the city for a few days we'd usually start by listening to a new comedy album uh pat oswald or something like that i know that you're supposed to put on rock and roll when you're you know leaving the city <laughs> in the tour van but we would listen to a comedy album and and that way we'd have inside jokes for the for the rest of the weekend right <laughs> um you definitely end up some, sometimes it is, uh, it is a, a chore, uh, to talk to people, uh, specifically when it's four in the morning and you need to sit next to them and keep them awake because they are driving through the very boring hills of New Brunswick, uh, which is not a shot at New Brunswick. I, <laughs> I love it. Uh, it just, there's a lot of New Brunswick that looks exactly the same as the rest of New Brunswick. <laughs> so, so there are times where, you you literally are required to just talk about some bullshit. Um, that that is a that is a necessity. That is a that is a chore that you have to do. We tended to tour in such a big group that there was usually uh, either someone for you to talk to, or if you didn't want to talk, there were other people that other people could talk to. If you wanted a little, just uh, time to read your book or whatever. Uh, and because we were six or seven people touring that, that sort of gave people, I don't know what it's like to tour in a power trio. That's, that's probably a little intense. And, and, <laughs> and I do have friends who have toured as a, as a duo and apparently it, it got pretty, pretty awkward, pretty quick. Um <laughs> So I think I think touring in a large band there there takes is the a bit of flexibility of a bit a bit of space yeah it takes mm -hmm. the pressure off I remember, I have to say, I, I did see you guys. I saw Entire Cities play the Silver Dollar Room like 12 years ago or something. <laughs> and I remember there was this, you uh, struck me as being part of this sort of movement in the 2000s. Uh, we don't have a proper name for that decade, the noughties, where there were a lot of bands where there would just be like 15 people on stage. <laughs> Some of them wouldn't even have instruments. But it was like <laughs> there was this giant party happening on stage. And it was really energetic and a lot of fun. And see, yeah, so it really it looked like a fun thing to be a part of. Well, this was one of the miracles of Torontopia. This this was one of the wonderful things about me making music back then. Is yes, there were a lot of bands that had ten or fifteen people in them. Uh, usually, it was 
the same 10 or 15 people. (laughs) Everybody, it was, it was really common for people to just ask you to play in their band. That bands were these flexible, sprawling things where, where, you know, our triangle player just, uh, uh, just moved to Winnipeg, so either you can be our triangle player, or we can just not have a triangle player. <laughs> or the fact either that you way, you have it's a triangle fine. player, like you know, <laughs> a dedicated triangle player. <laughs> that's 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 pretty great. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I think the the financial realities of this day and age, where people will just go listen to you on Spotify, and you'll get an eighth of a cent for every. 10 plays or whatever uh, the, the the math works out to be. I think that has kind of killed that kind of band. There are, there aren't a lot of those around. They're, they're not in vogue anymore. And it's not just because the, the, the fad was passed. Um, uh, I, I think the financial realities of this day and age preclude touring like that. Somehow we never lost money. You know, we, we, we always had a, very tiny per diem for everybody. And we always came back uh, a few hundred bucks on top. And, and I don't really? quite know how. Yeah. The, I want your the, life. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had this, our secret this. weapon was something called CDs and they you could oh, sell, yeah. you could make them for about a buck a pop and, and you would sell them for 15. It was, it was a real good deal for the bands. No one buys my CDs anymore except for like my mom's friends and really nice um, <laughs> affluent people at um, my dinner gig show. But um, I was actually going to ask, like, Simon, like, back in the day with the bands that were 15 people big and interchangeable and stuff and its members, were people, like, as notoriously busy as they are now? Like, would you ask someone, like, hey, triangle player, move to Winnipeg. Can you fill in? <laughs> were they like, yeah, I think I'm free. I, I I got you. Or were they like, oh, no, man, I'm so sorry. Like, I I, I got this other gig that night and then I'm, I'm in this recording session for this other band and... And, you know, maybe like six months from now, maybe six months from now, we could maybe have a rehearsal. I don't, I don't know. I mean, my, my whole life revolved around that stuff back then. So, so any night of the week, as long as I wasn't playing with a different band, I would be very happy to play with, with your band and just kind of pick it up uh, as we went along. And people seemed to have time for it. Now, that being said, those people were 23, 24, 25 years old, and they were working at American Apparel where they could just show up whenever and be hung over. <laughs> I, I, I think part of that is, uh, is, is age, but I think you're right. Everybody does just seem busier now. Well, this is why I say, Kristen, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. I think that's a great question because that is something that I hear over and over talking about this is that everyone's, and I just see it in my own life too, that everyone is just so busy. And I don't think it's just that I'm older because I think the 22-year-olds are also ridiculously busy. <laughs> yeah. Because there's just, there's just, it's, and it's partly that rent is so expensive that everyone's got to hustle all the time. Um, I think, but yeah, there's like these underlying economic things are, are pushing people to have more to do. I also wanted to ask you, I mean, you were maybe not touring with seven people in a van, but you've had bandmates. <laughs> I was, yeah. uh, do you, do you like, um, do you feel like working with someone on music is a real bonding thing and you, is that a good way of getting to know someone? Absolutely. Um, there's nothing more rewarding in this world than hearing a group of people get together and I sound like such a narcissist, but like play a song that you created that was that was because I I don't know, I'm a songwriter and I I it's it's so cool to have that connection with people when they they literally like they bring your work to life in a way that you could never, you know, create just on your own. I mean, you create the song on your own or something, but when you bring it to other people and you're playing it together, that you're hearing what you created, like transform and come back to you. There's something so magical about that. And I think finding band members is actually a lot like, like finding a a partner to date (laughs) because like you don't have like perfect chemistry with everyone. Like just because someone's, you know, just because someone's a a great musician doesn't mean that you're going to vibe with them um well Mm -hmm. and uh 
yeah, in the dating world too. Like just because someone you know good on paper and and is good looking and stuff, um, doesn't mean that like you're gonna click. Yeah, chemistry is important. Like you have to work at a relationship, but you also have to have the chemistry there. Yeah, and it's like having band members is is funny too in in the like a professional context because they're like your colleagues, but then they can also become like your family. That's true. There are the barriers that there are be that there are in like an office job, <laughs> or yeah. the barriers, the boundaries. There, there aren't the same boundaries. There aren't the same boundaries, or there are no. There aren't. Uh, like if you're working, I mean, like nine to five at an office job, you're you're not. You don't have that level of closeness with those people that you do if you're if you're in a band with them. I would imagine you know, there isn't yeah. that there isn't that kind of connection. Which I imagine I imagine can be good or bad because if this is also your livelihood, then you know interpersonal things disrupting it could be a problem <laughs> yeah i don't know i've always made like a rule to like never date any of my band members mm, that sounds like a good rule um, because i i really do see my work as you know working in a professional environment and context but i mean like i don't know whatever you could like fall in love with one of your coworkers at your office too so <laughs> it's 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 a little a little messy I mean, a little awkward <laughs> I, I, I imagine this is not this has not happened to me but i'm also just a very like defensive protective kind of person <laughs> about myself so <laughs> but yes i do enjoy connecting with people um what simon was describing though about you know having that kind of bond with people from spending so much time together it really reminds me of um you know the days when i was doing community musical theater and it would be like a cast of you know 20 to 30 people and we did become like this immediate family and those friendships i still cherish like summer of 2003 like that was one of the best summers of my life because of this huge like familial bond that i shared with so many people in the in the Vancouver um, Asian theater community. Nice. One of the things that I've really found myself struggling with over the years is how to develop a friendship with someone without making something with them. Hmm. Because I feel like it's it's this pattern I've gotten into and and, and just habit. I mean that's 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 what I have experience with is becoming friends with someone through making something with them. But I, I realized at a certain point, Oh, I'm not, I'm not good at making friends with people just by talking to them. That's, that's, that's something I don't have a lot of experience with. And, and, and people I do like my, my default is, is always, well, let's make something together. Uh, I just, uh, I feel like making things with people it's so much easier to develop trust when you yeah. are seeing them in action. Right. You know? That's the best way to make friends with someone. I think so. Yeah. I think, why not? Why, why, why fight it, Simon? <laughs> just, if you want to make friends with someone, just ask them to make something with you. Because not everybody's a musician. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen, I have to ask you, uh, the initial reason why I approached Kristen for this podcast was because I saw you did this thing and it was for the Honest Ed's closing party uh, a couple of years ago where you had... 60 people on ukulele and you were leading them <laughs> in a group ukulele I think lesson. it was more than that. More? How many was it? Yes. I think we squished like 200 people into that room. <laughs> Just like an epic number of ukuleles. Yeah. We, o we only had 30 ukuleles that um, Long and McQuaid provided for us. Okay. Shout out to Long and McQuaid for doing that. But there were people who, who brought their own ukuleles. BYOU. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure it was around 200 people. It's amazing. <laughs> I, d I didn't have time to count. There was so much going on that day. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, so I, I have this uh, ukulele duo with my best friend, Cherie Spencer, um, who now lives in Amsterdam. Boohoo, but good for her. Um, but yeah, when Honest Eds was closing, uh, we wanted to you know engage the space. And we put in this proposal that we would teach a free beginner ukulele workshop to the community <laughs> in the groceries section. And they were like, yeah, let's do it. So 
we did it and all these people came out it was oh it was such a magical experience and the microphones weren't connected properly and they didn't really work so we were like yelling the whole time we we're like put your finger here on this string and then and we're like walking around and trying to help people but people next to each other would would help each other because we soon learned that it wasn't all just beginner ukulele players um, who wanted to to uh, partake it it was it was just people who already knew how to play the ukulele and they just wanted to come out and support the community mm-hmm, and make mm-hmm. a connection and be a part of this fun experience. So, yeah, the ukulele has really been this instrument of peace and community <laughs> building in my life that I I never I never thought it would find me. I never thought I would find it. But I I feel like the ukulele is just it just keeps finding me and seeking me out in my life. The only reason why I play it is because my friend Malaya in Vancouver was playing hers on the beach one day. And I was like, this is so cool. You have an instrument that you can carry <laughs> on your back and make music with. Cause you know, me and my piano. Um, <laughs> Little hard to play that on beach. <laughs> yeah. And I don't have a car. And yeah, I was just like, so falling in love with the immediacy of it and the accessibility of it. And so I got my own and, and that's kind of how I've started playing ukulele. And who knew who knew there were like there's this hidden ukulele love in the city of Toronto that 200 people came out when you put out the call. That is so great. Yeah, where were you all hiding? <laughs> we have to get everyone out more often. But I mean, it kind of picks up on what Simon was saying about you know making something with people is a great way to become friends. Just getting together yeah. and making music with a bunch of strangers is a great great way to like feel connected for a little while i think and even doing volunteer work and stuff or like working behind the scenes at like a music festival uh which is what i've done a lot of Mm -hmm. it's it's always like when you're uniting with other people working towards something you make the best best friendships so guys this has been awesome thank you both so much for taking the time out of your busy musician schedules (laughs) to talk with us thank you for having us thanks for having me nadia thank you both very much and thank you for listening to the opposite of lonely For links and notes from this episode of The Opposite of Lonely, including where to find music by Kristen and Simon, go to megaphonic.fm slash unlonely, where you'll also be able to subscribe to the podcast. If you're interested in the whole idea of how music is intertwined with our sense of ourselves and how we relate to each other, then you should definitely check out This Is Your Mixtape, another Megaphonic podcast. Each episode, Michael Collins asks a guest to talk about their life in five songs. What was your favorite song when you were a kid, when you were a teenager, a young adult? Listening to people explore their autobiographies through the lens of these songs can be funny, revealing, and surprising. You can find This Is Your Mixtape, along with a growing number of other fine podcasts about culture and society, at megaphonic.fm. This podcast, meanwhile, is back from its short hiatus, and I'm working on lining up some really interesting guests. There will be another episode in about a month. To find out when, and to get updates on what's happening, you can join our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. Just search The Opposite of Lonely on either platform. If you'd like to respond to something we said on the show, or if you have any questions, find the Facebook page, send me a tweet, or drop me a line at nadia at megaphonic.fm. I'm Nadia Halim. The Opposite of Lonely is a proud member of the Megaphonic Podcast Network. Music